0: Chapter by chapter, line by line, listen to our show,
1: and have a real good time, with your pal
2: and Eric too. Chapter
1: by chapter, line by line, we'll read along with
0: you, we'll read along with you.
1: Eric, did I? That was um, that was some like baritone action going on. Baritone, 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 tenor. Be-
2: be- be- <laughs> Hold on. I have to. Yeah, I we'll have to we'll channel get my get there. We'll
1: get there. Channel your inner Paul Robeson.
2: I have to channel my uh, uh chorus of the bells. You know Hark how oh that bells because mm-hmm. at the very end they go,
1: Bom, bomb, bomb. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's going to be um in the next the next podcast. We're just, it's it, we're not going to have any words. We're just going to go bum bum bum. I think we should do that for our Christmas podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. 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 Um
2: hey, welcome to Chapter by Chapter.
1: We are the world's slowest and dumbest and laziest and smelliest and uh, hey, you! The ugliest podcast where you don't learn anything, but we are going to talk to you about Northanger Abbey, which you'll never, ever, ever going to read because you're too goddamn fucking lazy to pick up a book and read some Jane goddamn fucking Austin.
2: Hey, you. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. That you, random asshole on the street. You fucking schlub walking around dragging your feet. Are you going to read Jane Austen? No,
1: he's not going to read Jane Austen. No. This guy? Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm this, looking at this- fat looking at This fat asshole? He's not reading uh, Jane Austen. No way, no how.
2: gabagool right here? This, uh, this, uh, forget about it. Uh, say hi to your mother for me. But, with our show, we can- we do one chapter of, uh, of one of these highfalutin books every single podcast. So, uh, Every week you can listen to, or you know, roughly week. Uh, pit of time passes between each one. Yeah, you can uh, have a new chapter of this book, and by the end of it, after a long time, you have read the whole thing. We just do a deep dive, and we hold your, we hold your hand, we hold your dick.
1: We we cradle. We, we hold, you wanna... I don't know if we hold the dick. Oh, we hold the dick. Whoa! <laughs> this is taking us to a whole new oh, level. Oh, we hold their dick, all right. Oh, we
2: don't. We don't hold their dick. But we cradle them in our loving arms uh, until they have read a complete freaking book, and then it's on to season two, where we'll do another freaking book.
1: Uh,
2: yeah. What what book are we reading again?
1: We are reading Northanger Abbey, the obviously the 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 most renowned and the most popular of all Jane Austen's uh, novels, the one that uh, freaking uh, I don't know, Kira Knightley has appeared in.
2: Yeah. Uh, the one that has. Uh, uh, yeah. Wait, Keira Knightley was not in that. She
1: was not in that. She was in Pride and Prejudice. Now,
2: I feel like Keira Knightley is miscast as, uh...
1: As M- Miss Lizzie? As, yeah. Oh, totally miscast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Keira Knightley has sort she's... of an ethereal, ethereal and uh, uh, stunning beauty that is not to say Lizzie couldn't be beautiful. It's just she... uh, the semiotics of having sort of a, 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 an air elemental-like... Uh, Kira Knightley, as your protagonist, protagonist suggests something different.
1: Oh yeah, I think that there, there no Pride and Prejudice series has ever been made that properly cast Lizzie Bennett because she's not she's supposed to be devastatingly beautiful.
2: She's supposed to. I mean, even if you did cast a devastatingly beautiful actress, you're supposed to sort of uh, uh, imply a kind of uh, a practicality and smarts, which. Unfortunately, in our modern discourse, does not uh, instantly equate to uh, you know
1: exactly. Her her intellect is supposed to shine through a you know relatively you know plain and easygoing face. She's nice looking, she's not great looking. She's like um she's like Catherine. Yeah. She's like she's prettier this year than she was two years ago.
2: And there's different kinds of on-screen beauty. What I'm getting at with uh, Keira Knightley is, uh, is an almost aerial, like yeah, as yeah. She's your like more um, caliban uh, what,
1: What's what's her what's her name from uh, the the, the she, she has the compound last name. She always Jacob plays Reese like the, the witchy the witchy characters in Tim Burton. I'm Just joking.
2: It's not Jacob. It's uh, no, I feel like Helena Bonham Carter yes. would be a good. Helena Bottom Carter has a, a kind of uh, she could
1: she could have in her in her youth she could have played uh, Lydia Bennett.
2: I feel like Helena Bottom Carter has a zaniness to her that uh, would lend herself well to uh, the role.
1: Lizzie Bennett?
2: Yeah, she. I feel like, or at least uh, there, I've seen Helena Bottom Carter in enough roles where she is Lord of the Smart Girl, the Brunette, where I could I could picture mm. that happening.
1: I see her more as Lydia Bennett because she's all she she could she could kind of fall into like teen girl hysterics and throw tantrums and insist on going to the seaside even though it meant losing her honor.
2: Yeah, um, who would play? I'm sorry, we're way off we're course. We're way and off course. We're almost getting into a point where you're learning something. If you learn a single goddamn thing from this episode, I want you to smack your head against a pole until you've forgotten the whole thing.
1: Right, so let me let me tell you a little bit about our podcast. We have um, we're going to talk to you a little bit about uh, Northanger Abbey.
2: Yeah, what um, chapter are we? Eventually,
1: on, by we the way. are in chapter eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, we are also currently podcasting from um, my uh, my gothic castle in um, uh, Brooklyn, New York, in Windsor Terrace. Yeah, uh,
2: and you'd think, well, how is it that we can af- uh, Annie can afford a gothic castle? And it's because it is in fact haunted. There are multiple. Uh, planes of existence. We actually had a bit of a dispute here. We kept saying that these ghosts come from beyond the veil. Now, I was assuming... Now, here's the whole process of where these ghosts come from. There is, in fact, this heavy, uh, very creepy-looking embroidered black uh, 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 cloak-like curtain over here that I do pass through. But then once I'm through it, I'm in sort of this uh, entirely black-and-white, like, colored... A realm in which there is this vast ghostly bone-white plain that I go through before I uh, go up a haunted mountain, and then I see a whole bunch of evil ghosts on the other side.
1: Right, so you think that, that you, can, you can say Veil, and you can also say Veil. Yeah, I've been
2: saying, I've been calling, I've been, because we get, so a little background, we, we get uh, guests from Beyond the Veil. Uh, We got these long dead guests to go on and we interview them. And I've been saying they're beyond the veil because they're beyond this. I'm touching it right now, this curtain, this sort of very creepy curtain. Oh, my hands are so ice cold, even touching it. But then um, I also pass through the literal valley of death from the Bible uh, every time I go through there. So am I saying V-E-I-L or V-A-L-E?
1: Well, I think you're you're saying you're saying a word and you're not saying letters
2: that's a good point i think listeners you should write into chapter by chapter one at gmail.com or tweet to us at lowbrow lit
1: is it veil or is it veil is it
2: veil or veil we should do one of those twitter polls Ooh, that's a good
1: idea yes speaking of which do we have any people writing in uh we do not have any people writing in today what
2: about on twitter
1: do we have any people writing in on twitter i i don't know
2: i hope so um, Do we have any angry comments from I sensibly got uh, I somehow forgot the password To the Twitter account so I am no longer tweeting On the chapter by chapter uh, Twitter account which is a good thing Because I'm a crazy person And I can't be trusted with it I get incredibly angry on Twitter uh, I got into a very very long Argument with somebody uh, i pretty sure I called uh, Mike Huckabee a cuck which I shouldn't have done, because that's a right-wing phrase, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I don't see any... Um... Oh, is your brain made of spaghetti? Holy shit.
2: Uh, somebody is asking me if my brain is made of... Sp- oh, oh if somebody was asking our account if it was made of spaghetti, what was yes. the response to?
1: Um, traditionally, jokes are funny. Have you considered being funny?
2: Oh, yeah. I said that to somebody.
1: Um, uh, let's see. The original comment was wondering how deranged the radical left is. There are people tweeting that they're upset that RIP 45 isn't about President Trump's death.
2: Well, I don't know. I just, I, I had said, if you want to be funny, you should be funny about it.
1: Right. I so think I, this was in
2: response to like Dave Chappelle or, uh... You know, one of these uh, middle-aged comedians Uh, are going out and saying like, "My feelings." So I said, "You know, the reason why left wingers don't think it's funny is because you're not saying jokes; you're just whining about how you're not as successful on college campuses." So
1: this this particular tweet was about this hashtag #RIP45, and how some folks on Twitter thought the president was dead, and it turned out. And this right-wing person was saying, leftists don't really get humor if they think that's funny.
2: It is funny. Yeah. But that they, makes my brain full of spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's why I'm not on Twitter anymore. This is a
1: phenomenal waste of time. Right. The left hates comedy because they hate this incredibly unfunny, okay, racist comment? What? Oh, you know what? What? You know what? See, already, already, it's happening.
2: We're getting driven into. Gosh, if only something could just break us from this. Some. some yeah. Figure. I, I had
1: a I had a particularly awful week on Twitter on account of the um like the anti-Bernie stuff and uh, the wanna, the, wanna... the 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 Working Families Party and the Out Mag- Out magazine and they're coming for us again and it is very upsetting Working and it Families is
2: Working Families Party endorsing Warren. It, it is, is an eternal. It blow. is. A,
1: it's a real. It's a real blow and, and I think that we have we 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 see you know the fang the, the, the you know capitalism is bearing its fangs again and it is coming down and we are and it is ugly again this is not fun anymore and no, i'm wanna... i'm remembering how like 2015 2016 i remember my you know my twitter disputes very fondly it was also emotionally exhausting yeah. and now it's worse now it's worse and at least now i'm going to going to go out there and i don't know canvas the shit out of my neighborhood i suppose yeah
2: take all that rage and apply it to something practical or at the very least like after all these this this paranoid uh hyper uh active technological society we need we need voices from like we need just a calm conservative voice from the past to just remind us of tradition and oh there's okay oh
1: the
2: The veil. There's some uh, somehow. There's a knocking on the veil. It's because the veil is so cold. That's Mm. why it's sort of frozen, solid. You can.
1: Oh, there, there is something. It it looks like a parade float.
2: I don't coming. There appears to be some kind of hot air balloon, sort of floating on toward. um, It's sort of like a plaid, sort of a brown plaid hot air balloon, just sort of rolling on down, through. uh, Oh,
1: hello, hello, you two. Hello.
2: It's a a human. It's a man. Good God. Yeah.
1: Wait, my oh, what am I? What am I doing here? Sir, let well, me how just sir,
2: excuse me. Let me just roll you upright. Oh my! Just, oh, oh, are, thank let me just oh, thank you! So thank uh, you so much. Oh, thank you. You look like me, Violet Beauregard from I, that movie oh, that you have seen. Let me
1: let me adjust my my cape. You look very familiar. Yeah, yeah. You must hold my my uh, my bone-handled walking stick. Yeah, this is quite
2: the walking stick, and you've got this very wide-brimmed hat.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, take Allow take my take my a chapeau, and you. Do you mind if I take your tweed cape from you? Oh yes, please, please. You uh, you you, oh, you no, appear to need uh, you you need a little bit of uh you need a little something. Your 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 costume lacks uh a little something. So please take my cape. I'll and put it on. There's another tweed I cape. I have I you, you keep it. I have plenty more There's another tweed the veil. cape
2: underneath your tweed yes, cape. Yes, exactly,
1: exactly. How, how many to here? Let me get that from you. Oh, I thank you. There's thank another you. one. How many tweed capes are you wearing? Uh, I, I, well, you see, beyond the veil, we do not have wardrobes, so I must wear all my clothes at the same time. Sir, I'm sorry. Could you mind introducing yourself? Sir? Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Gilbert Keith. Uh, you may know me as uh, G.K. Chesterton. Oh my God! It's G.K. Chesterton. I am. I, I am the re- renowned author. I'm such a fan. And um, renowned um, uh, Catholic. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Englishman, patriot, and. Uh, A fat man. Uh, Well, okay. So I was going to wonder about that. How many
2: uh, prolific
1: poet or illustrator? (laughs) Did you say nothing of my bone-handled walking sticks?
2: Uh, Yeah, let me just put this in the. Hold on, let me just put this over here. Uh, Roughly percentage, how much of your body mass is tweed at the moment?
1: Oh, I would say not uh, not nearly as many as you would say. My my sartorial efforts beyond the veil have been uh, quite weak. Yeah. Um, that my, my tailor did not die until 1962. Uh, oh, no. And I am on a waiting list.
2: Yeah, yeah, I should say so. Although, like, how many, you know, how many tweets? I guess it's very cold beyond the veil. So just constant tweet oh, coats. Oh, are, constant
1: tweet, tweet coats. Tweet uh, mufflers, mm-hmm. um Mufflers, b- booties
2: now uh, uh galoshes
1: because it's quite wet beyond the veil as well
2: now you're tilting over just a little bit let me just roll you right back. Uh, oh thank you thank you, you thank you rather thank you well,
1: I, am, I am i am quite i am quite large you're going to have to move over on, on, on the city
2: mr please, chesterton. please move
1: over on the city because so i so i can i can unfurl thank you thank you
2: mr chesterton would you mind if uh, i asked you some questions now that i have you yes, here please you're we're on a literary podcast
1: Am I, am I a podcast. Yeah,
2: it's a uh, like
1: literary podcast, and are, will you are, will you be discussing my works?
2: Yeah, we uh, well, I've got a number of questions. You're just such a prolific writer, and I'm oh, such thank a fan. You. Absolutely. Uh,
1: thank you. Thank you. Uh,
2: we you know we recently had on. I don't think it was a contemporary, or at least at the end of your life. Uh, I don't know if you know H. P. Lovecraft.
1: Um, H. P. Well, maybe you've
2: met him beyond the veil. We
1: we have been in, involved in a poker game, but I have to say I drank him under the table. I drank him and I ate him under the table, and and then I then I ate him.
2: <laughs> oh no! It, we imagine it was very stringy.
1: It, you know, it was not very nice, and of course, beyond the veil, when you eat someone, they come back to life, and then they're very mad at you.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Like, where are you going to go?
1: Precisely. Precisely. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, you. So, well, okay. Wait a minute. I actually have some questions for you, if you don't mind. So, you once said that poets have been mysteriously silent on the subject of cheese
1: yes do you still feel that way mm, yes yes poets have indeed been mysteriously silent in the subject of cheese where is the are uh, the villanelles on stilton where uh, are? Th-
2: i'm sorry i don't speak french
1: where are the trochaic spondees uh, that- on cheddar sir you are
2: channeling some winston churchill right now
1: We are, I, we, there are not nearly enough great poems, classical poems on the subject of cheese.
2: Yeah, uh, well, if you had to, uh, if you, like, if you had to right now just, uh, compose something real quick on cheese, could you do it?
1: Oh, let me see. Oh, moldy butter yellow, you are green in the cupboard after midnight. I love you. Good night. That almost got kind of sad at the end there. Yes, yes. I am a I am a very, very happy, happy fat man, all in tweed. But on the inside, I am crying like the cry, like a clown. That's a,
2: quite a paradox. You, by the way, quite a bit of your literary uh, oeuvre uh, is about paradoxes. You love paradoxes. What's your favorite paradox?
1: I have one right here. I have one here. Um, It is a great mistake to suppose that love unites and unifies men. Love diversifies them, because love is directed towards individuality. The thing that really unites men and makes them like to each other is hatred. Oh. Oh, I'm sad. I like other people because they hate the same people that I hate. Oh, my God, it's so true. It's so true.
2: That's, you know, my my co-host Annie Levin, who has apparently swooned, uh, she is. Uh, oh now yes, she is she is, completely. Oh, she was, She's
1: a great big fan. She's a great big fan. She has been calling me from beyond the veil. Ah. She's been calling me since she was writing her master's thesis on me for the last ten years.
2: And now you. And now and up. now
1: I showed up and she's fainted dead away. I'm I'm absolutely chuffed. It,
2: <laughs> quite chuffed. I'm indeed. so chuffed. Well, the way we met is we just hated the same people and eventually there you we go. To do a there podcast. you go. You
1: hated the same people and now you can hate all the same authors.
2: Absolutely. Um, now. Uh, so, okay, I get finding religion,
1: but honestly, Catholicism. Oh yes, oh yes. Catholicism. Well, Oscar Wilde was a Catholic. Okay, that's one. Oscar Wilde was a Catholic. Yeah. Evelyn Waugh was a Catholic. You, I, 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 Tolkien was a Catholic. He was a Catholic, that's true. What, 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 is, what is your problem with Catholic? Let's talk about you now.
2: Well, okay, wait a minute. There's Latin. There's, you know, all the, all the, all the priests. It's just, it's... Uh...
1: Beautiful costumes. Yeah. Beautiful costumes and poetry. Okay. Different colors and beautiful cathedrals. There's art on your side, not to mention a, a rational theology unlike Protestantism.
2: Oh, oh, let's go into this a little bit more. It's rational uh, as opposed to Protestantism? It is,
1: it is a complete system. We draw a Thomas, Aquinas. It is a complete system.
2: Oh, okay. That, that's fair. That's a, well, uh, you know what? You it can't... doesn't go
1: off in uh, blasphemic uh, tangents in um, uh, like Protestantism.
2: Tell you what. I'm going to name a uh, mainline Protestant denomination, and I want you to uh, react using only a British sounding like grunt. Or some kind of exclamation, sort of single-syllable exclamation that's very British. Right-o. I, um, I will take a two-syllable if it's right uh, just Okay, so let's start. Um, Methodists. Mm. Anglicans.
1: Ew. Baptists. Potty.
2: Mormons. Baffled. Now you know I'm going to throw a swing one at you. Well, first, Quakers. Cheesy. Jews
1: Hmm
2: Yummy. Okay, I'll I'll take it.
1: <laughs> I think
2: Jews are quite yummy. Uh
1: Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. I, I, I think my, my anti Semitism has been greatly greatly misunderstood. You see I don't I don't hate Jews. I just wish for them to dress in, in special costumes, to walk around like wizards so that I know who they are and not to uh ask them for any money.
2: That's okay.
1: You see, it's totally, totally normal.
2: Yeah, no, I also want... I want everyone to walk around like wizards. Yes. Um, well, okay, speaking of uh, wizards, and you mentioned this uh, uh, this fine gentleman, Tolkien and Lewis, C.S. Lewis, that is, both cite you as inspirations. Uh, they are responsible for a, a body of literature, a mythopedia, and that involves uh, a lot of uh, uh, pathetic nerds obsessing over little munchkins and elves uh, dancing around our screens and shooting at people with their bows and arrows. Um... How do you feel about all of these dumb little hobbits and, uh, and so well, forth? Well,
1: I say my I I, I once said, and, and I don't remember the context, that uh, literature is a luxury, but fiction a necessity. And I believe that Mister Tolkien, Mister Tolkien, who by the way I also drank under the table and ate. Yeah. But, but he was better humored about it than Mr. H.P. Lovecraft.
2: No, H.P. Lovecraft isn't humored about
1: anything. And uh, to Mr. Tolkien, who is of my own faith, I, I, I get along with fairly well. Whereas, whereas Mr. Mr Lewis, Mr. Lewis, who has, who has who goes on and on and on about my own work and has read on Orthodoxy over and over and over again, I, I find him quite a bore. Well,
2: he is Anglican.
1: He's, 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 these, these high church Anglicans, they just don't go all the way. Uh...
2: What the fuck is distributism?
1: We're distribu- Well, you don't. You are. You are some some manner of uh, of dirty dirty Jewish socialist.
2: Yeah. Uh, this is the uh, this is one of the many dirty Jewish socialists podcasts. Yes. In
1: yes. Well, I, like like many dirty Jewish socialists, I agree that uh, that money should not be held in the hands of a few rich men.
2: That's very refreshing to hear. How, from... I,
1: however, however, I do not believe that it should be held in the hands of the state. It should be held in the hands of a, of a number of eccentrically dressed patriarchs. Who who live out in the country and wearing Renaissance fair uh, costumes and re- residing in and journeyman guilds, uh, building uh, wooden toys out in the country and and living with sheep.
2: Now, Gilbert, may I call you Gilbert? Please. Now, Gilbert, I, I want to interrogate this uh, this distributist society. Would the idea is the more eccentrically dressed, the more tweed you have on, the higher ranking you are? Oh
1: yes, oh yes. You see, if you are if you are, and this is this goes for a higher rank and also personality. If you are if you are a sad person, you should always wear black or gray. Whereas if you are a happy person, you are permitted pink or red or green.
2: Oh, so like it's uh, like uh, sumptuary laws except for your just general temperament.
1: Precisely. Except
2: for Jews Precisely. who shouldn't dress like wizards. Indeed.
1: Indeed. Well,
2: uh, speaking of uh, uh, dirty socialists, you actually have quite a bit of insight into left-wing politics. I admired in The Man Who Is Thursday, uh, there's this the plot is as you know because uh, you wrote it uh there's this anarchist collective that's entirely every single member of it is a uh, police officer who are trying to inform each other and that causes much of the disruption and that uh so my question is how did you predict the democratic socialists of america
1: wait i don't know what this group is we oh. don't we, we don't we don't discuss them beyond the veil Oh yeah, it is. It is. It is considered quite rude to talk politics beyond the veil. We are. We are beyond. Imagine such it shuts things.
2: up H.P. Lovecraft quite a bit. Oh yes. Yeah.
1: Oh yes. Um, but we ho- however, I I, be- I believed in my in my own day, in my own day that uh, anarchists as as today anarchists are all, always truly the reactionaries, <laughs> of 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 the of your clan. Hot takes for and Chesterton. Underneath, underneath they reveal themselves. To be cops?
2: I want you to imagine something. Imagine that, and now this is very much out there. This is some science fiction that uh, even a creative mind like you could imagine. But imagine anarchists were trying to arrange, like, say, a a, a left-wing choir. Am I? Yeah, imagine they were to join and arrange in some kind of left-wing choir. How would they behave in this choir? Ew.
1: Ew, are they... It is, it is. What kind of songs do they sing?
2: They would sing like labor songs, uh, stuff about um, not a lot of nice stuff about religion and Catholics. I'm so sorry to say.
1: Well, I have. This is a very strange question. Mm-hmm. It seems very specific and very directed. <laughs> and I, I don't really know how how to answer this question, Politely. except to say, uh, except to say that I I believe that the anarchists probably need to sing louder.
2: Oh, okay. That's, oh, how, how diplomatic, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, well, um, if Netflix adapted Father Brown, who should play him? Me. Okay, thanks, G.K. That's all I got for you. It's no Am more.
1: I, oh, oh, thank you so much. If no you, more questions? If you please uh, hand me back my money cloaks, my bone handled walking stick, and right my up. hat, one. and I will enroll uh, me back, please, beyond the veil. Thank uh, you. Thank you. I thank you. Oh, thank you. And, oh there's uh, another one. Four. And goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Jews. Goodbye. You. Goodbye. All right, let me
2: just push you right back beyond the veil.
1: Whoa. Annie, are you okay? I'm. I'm feel a little sick right now. Was that just G.K. Chesterton? I just fangirled and fell in a faint on the floor. I
2: should have at least turned you over in case you swallowed your tongue, but I was just.
1: Um, I missed G.K. You did miss G.K. Man, I had so many questions for him. God,
2: it's hard to miss him. Am I right? Oh, yeah. He's a big fat guy. He's a. He was a real big fat guy. He, he was perfectly circular. Like if you were to take like a compass, you know, like uh, you know, uh, like and measure his angles, there there are no angles. No. It was really something no, else. No, he's
1: just—he's a perfect balloon with a with a head and, and little little fingers.
2: Yeah, it's—it uh, was really cute. If anything, yeah,
1: he's a he's a, he's a cutie. Yeah, he's a cutie. He's a crazy person. I'd tap he's that a crazy reactionary. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> I you know his distributism idea where uh, the more sort of eccentric you are and the more crazily dressed you are, the higher the more resources you have access to. Mm-hmm. It beats
1: capitalism. I agree. Distributism not as good as socialism, not as bad as capitalism. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, I guess it's time to move on to our next section. Yeah, I think we should probably talk a little bit about the book.
2: The goddamn book we're doing. The goddamn
1: book. So what has happened in Northanger Abbey so far? Maybe I'll I'll talk about it, because you just interviewed G.K. Chesterton. So, (laughs) um... But maybe you can give us a last time on Northanger Abbey. Last time on
2: Northanger Abbey.
1: So um, Northanger Abbey. So far in this book, uh, Catherine Morland has gone all the way to Bath to find herself a man's, and um, instead she found two mans, uh, Henry Tilney and John Thorpe. She loves Henry Tilney. We call him Cool Fox Henry Tilney on this show. John Thorpe is a bit of a beast, mm-hmm. um, and uh, although I have a little, some sympathies for him because he's such a complete and utter imbecile.
2: Um, you know what he reminds me? I, um, I'm not going to name drop this individual, but I went to college with a person who uh, had a complete uh, was very much 100% and had a complete lack of social graces. And at first, everyone uh, found him to be just the most appalling bore and uh, a real patoot, and everybody thought he was a jerk. And then after a while, we said, no, he's just like, he means very well. It's just he doesn't know any better. And he's sort of incapable of social niceties. He's not doing it on purpose.
1: Oh, that's but, sad.
2: But maybe he is doing it on purpose. I don't know. I it's, mean, John you know,
1: sometimes, sometimes ideology works through us without our knowledge.
2: It's true. That was so wise. And thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, well, I was just knocked out by G.K. Chesterton. So. Yes. Yeah,
2: you were. I'm pretty sure one of his thighs was just like. Just resting right across your—that's uh, why I was unable to revive you. I just—I had to roll him over even more. Yeah,
1: yeah. I—I yeah. I nearly died. I nearly died from G.K. Chesterton's thigh on my on my face just it's now. And
2: not the worst way to go.
1: You know what? You know, if I had to choose, smothered would, to death by G.K.
2: Chesterton's tweed.
1: It would be like top fifty. Yep. Probably. It'd be up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, Catherine Morland is in Bath. She. Uh, Bath is a. Beautiful town in England, full of rich people. It's a little bit like like the Hamptons. Um, and she's out there looking. She's 17 years old. She's looking for a husband. And uh, she is fi- doesn't really like John Thorpe, likes Henry Tilney. Henry Tilney has finally, they've gotten together. They've gone for a walk. Oh,
2: my God. Oh, my God. No, wait, they, went, they
1: went for a walk. i take a sip of wine. Would you mind repeating that? A walk. A walk. They went oh my god, he Eric is spitting wine all it, it's going through the veil. Oh it's going through oh the, the curtain has actually opened up and there's GK Chesterton. Oh, sorry, Mr. Chesterton. And, it's, and it's actually he's actually sucking it all in through oh, his mouth. Oh GK, it's it's like was this gravitational oh, field. You, you it's can, really if you
2: want some wine, I can get you some. Uh, Gilbert, come on.
1: He's a, he's just a vacuum that guy. He is hungry. And uh, they went for a walk. And now, Catherine Morland is going to visit Henry and his sister in their house. Where is this house? The house.
2: Does it have a name?
1: It's called... <gasps> Northanger, Northanger Abbey!
2: Bum-bum-bum-bum. Bum-bum. bum Thunder, thunderbolt, thunderbolt, thunderbolt.
1: And Northanger, and he's finally going to visit. And it, so in the meantime, she's, she's waiting to go and visit, and her best friend... Isabella Thorpe, Ooh. Isabella Thorpe, uh, the sister of John Thorpe, the rejected beau, is going to marry Catherine's brother James. Mm-hmm. But she was got engaged under the mistaken impression that James had money, and then she soon found out that he did not.
2: That's a big problem. Girls got to eat.
1: Girls got to eat, and and I think that this is this is the the one you know thing that we can really sympathize with with the the grasping thirsty. Thorpe family is that they have to eat they do not have money and their kids they have they are spending all their money for their kids to hang out in bath so that they can hook up with rich spouses land a man's, and Isabella has found a very nice guy James who's Catherine's brother who we assume is nice although maybe not as nice as Catherine as she if he goes and gets himself enveloped by this kind of nasty yeah. uh, treasure hunter um but Isabella is now kind of disappointed that uh, that James doesn't have any money, and is now lusting after Captain Tilney, who is Henry Tilney's older brother, and and seems to be a bit of a rake.
2: Yes. Uh, so that leads us to our current chapter, where um, I don't want to just summarize the whole thing right away, but it's honestly where Isabella shows her true colors, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, she's been she's been I think she's been showing her true colors from chapter one. That's a good point good point. I think like, you know, she's like the last couple chapters since she has been revealing herself to Catherine. And I really think, think that Jane Austen is, has this really beautiful way of sympathizing with Catherine and her naivete um, with regards to Isabella, where she she slowly reveals that to to Catherine that Isabella is a treasure hunter, doesn't really like her brother, doesn't have really any values whatsoever. She just is a gold digger. Um, but uh Catherine still loves her.
2: Now I'm not saying she's a gold digger. But she ain't messing with no broke white person. It's a line from a rap song.
1: Yes. That it is. Direct
2: <laughs> direct quote from a famous rap song. <laughs> Completely unchanged.
1: <laughs> uh, that it
2: let it be. <laughs> yes, it be. Uh <laughs> Yeah, okay, so, but I don't know, I thought this was a fun chapter anyway, because, so, yeah, uh, she's in a sitting room, she's talking with Isabella, uh, Isabella is c- doing the thing where you're talking to somebody, and they could not give less of a shit about what you're saying, they're basically looking at the door, they're doing everything but p- giving you eye contact, she seems really agitated, uh, She's uh, Isabella's looking for someone, and Catherine assumes, hey, you're probably looking out for, uh, you know, for my brother, because you want to marry him so much, right?
1: And Catherine says, "Like no, no way. I don't. I'm not looking out for your for your brother. I mean, how would that look if I was just like constantly thinking about my fiance all the time?"
2: Isabella was like, "I don't even, you know, and whatever. He's cool, I guess. I don't know. Don't even."
1: And I mean, we know we the, we the reader know, of course, from chapter one that Isabella is a gold digger, doesn't give a shit about the, the Moreland Morland family, but Catherine doesn't know that. No, Catherine should know that by well, I, by now. Catherine should know that, and then the last couple chapters, the author has kind of been poking fun at her at for not point, getting it.
2: At this point, she should know that. Also, I I have to wonder if she's being deliberately obtuse, because there are some lines where it's like, even though like Catherine, surely that it's it's Jane Austen making fun of this character. Oh yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I think so. Ugh. Um, so, then Captain Tilney sort of shows up, and, uh, they immediately do lovey-dovey baby talk with each other. The most obnoxious lovey-dovey baby talk. Uh, it reminds me of any time you had a buddy from high school who got a girlfriend for the first time, and immediately they started calling each other on the phone like this. Like, (coughs) oh, baby, why don't you, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. Hey, yeah, man, hey, yeah, no, don't worry, I'm just calling my babe real quick. Yeah, no, we can talk later. Hold on just a second. Hey baby, how are you? No, no, you shut. No, you. No. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Um, this was the Regency era version of that, and it was intolerable.
1: Yeah, and it's all you know, and it's all while Catherine is sitting there.
2: Do you, oh, oh, and she's sitting there. It's exactly that scene where you're in the car with your friend, and he's, he's going like, like, "Yeah, man, I don't know. Like, I'd fuck her, but I, hold on, there's a phone call."
1: Hey baby.
2: No, you you hang up. Yeah yeah, 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 And you're just sitting there, and it's, it goes on forever, and it's so uncomfortable. You go, oh, man, I don't know, maybe I can crack a window or something. Don't, don't, we got the air conditioning on. Hey, no, sorry, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to my friend here, you know. Oh, my God. Wait a minute, do you want to read this? Do you want to read this like that high school couple? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to be the most disturbing uh, line read uh, on chapter-by-chapter chapter history. Uh where where is uh where where could it be Where could it be?
0: Uh
2: Aha, up Okay, so Captain Tilney uh, he approached immediately and took the seat to which her movements invited him. His first address made Catherine start. Though spoken low she could distinguish Oh what? Always to be watched in person or by proxy.
1: Pshaw! Nonsense.
2: Who wants to be the narrator here?
1: Was Isabella's answer in the, in the same half-whisper. Why do you put such things into my head? If I could believe it, my spirit, you know, is pretty independent. No. But
2: I wish your heart was independent. That would be enough for me.
0: My heart indeed? What can you have to do with hearts? You may have none of you hearts. Oh,
2: if we have not hearts, we have eyes, and they give us torment enough.
1: Do they? I am sorry for it. I am sorry they find anything so disagreeable in me. I will look another way. I hope this pleases you.
2: Turning her back on him.
1: I hope your eyes are not tormented now.
2: No, never more so, for the edge of a blooming cheek is still in view. At once, too much and too little. Catherine had heard all of this and, quite out of continence, could m- listen no longer. You and the reader both, Catherine. It was uncomfortable reading it.
1: I yeah, yeah. I but to find Like Ca- Catherine, um, Captain Tilney is such a a non-character at this point. Captain Tilney
2: is just like some he's, hunky he, rich guy.
1: He's just there to flirt with Isabella. He's he a, has he has no character traits whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, Isabella at least we know that she has like she's motivated by by greed and a fear of starvation.
2: See here I disagree with you. I think Captain Tilney not only has a character trait but maybe the most important character trait of them all. He's rich. Yeah, that's that, all you. Well, I need. think like
1: richness is actually a character trait in Jane Austen novels. Like, like Mister Darcy doesn't have. He's he's honorable and he's got money. I feel like he's a Mr. little D- too proud. I feel like Mister
2: Darcy has some 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 character traits. I feel like Mister Darcy is like kind of socially awkward. You know, maybe uh, is grumpy and doesn't like going to parties. But isn't
1: that just being rich?
2: I feel like poor people are grumpy and socially awkward too. I know uh, I'm poor and grumpy and socially awkward. <laughs>
1: But you do like going to parties?
2: I do like going to parties, and I have met women who are handsome enough though not enough to tempt me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is not the Pride and Prejudice cast. This is the Northanger Abbey cast. Uh where we talk about uh this uh intolerable dialogue.
1: Right. So, I mean, th- this is pretty much the most exciting thing that happened in this chapter is this this uh, heart, horrendous exchange. This like really just yet,
2: uncomfortable flirting, and Catherine is right there, just right there.
1: And 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 Isabella just literally just got, got engaged. engaged to her brother. <laughs> She's like, and Catherine she does not give a damn. Catherine
2: is sitting there like, what what the what, am, what the fuck am I? I? And I you know
1: what, I, being put in that situation where a f- a friend is is humiliating you. Because they don't care about you, because you are a non-person to them. Not- your, your 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 feelings do not exist. It it shows a little bit of um, this, not not just the quality of, of Isabella's character and what she thinks about other people, but also it shows like this. She's dumb. Yeah, Isabella's is dumb. The she's fact dumb. that she's not even bothering to pretend in front of in front of Catherine. It's just a
2: stupid move, which makes me. I think it ties in with the John Thorpe thing. Like she's just kind of dumb. Yeah, they don't. I I have to wonder. They don't mean it. They don't mean it. They're just too dumb to be like subtle about it, you know, and we had said this before, but like in a way, Catherine is doing the same because all uh, upper middle class women of the Regency era have to do this. They have to ingratiate themselves and play the niceties and uh, to get themselves a man because they're not allowed to do anything else to get money. Right.
1: Yeah, and this is what they do, and this is, and Isabella so doing has, the same
2: thing, but she's doing it, uh...
1: is it, doing it fair and, uh, excuse me, Catherine is doing it fair and square. Catherine is playing by the rules, mm-hmm. and Isabella isn't, and Isabella isn't because she has, she can't play by the rules because she doesn't have any money.
2: And where I think the deck is stacked against, we're particularly stacked against uh, Isabella, is that the novel assumes... An innocence about Catherine that she if she was a real person obviously wouldn't have and even going through the motions that she's going through in this novel cannot possibly have like she has to know that she's like she's not all sweet and like oh I assume innocence on the part of uh Tilney or Thorpe there's no way that could be true but the uh, the uh the novel sort of I guess the novel doesn't really assume that out of her I feel like she protests too much yeah. Jane Austen surely, in some of these lines, goes, oh, she's not as naive as she's pretending to be.
1: Yeah, Catherine.
2: Catherine is not as yeah. naive as she's pretending
1: to be. And I think, be. you know, Jane Austen goes on and on and on about, like, how Catherine, particularly at the beginning of this novel, is totally naive, totally innocent, mm-hmm. totally ignorant. Yeah. And I think we can more or less assume the same of Isabella. Yeah. Is that she is 17 years old, innocent, ignorant, dumb as fuck, not educated. Yeah, we keep saying that these
2: are- these are teenagers.
1: These are these are seventeen-year-olds, and it, and all of this makes sense. Yeah, when thinking about there's, there th- are seventeen-year-olds the 17 trying to
2: get uh, uh, men my age to pay attention to them.
1: No, I think that, that all the men are also are like maybe early twenties.
2: Yeah, that's my age.
1: Oh, oh okay. That's, yeah. what, that's what we're doing. Uh, all that's right. <laughs> the game we're playing right now. <laughs> I am
2: thirty. Anyway, so um, moving on. Uh, yeah, no, so. Speaking of which, on, on that same topic, uh, John, so we had skipped over this, but uh, Isabella had revealed to Catherine, Oh, John Thorpe proposed to you and you let him on. And Catherine, you know, uh, protests her innocence and says, I have no idea why you would say that. And Isabella said, John Thorpe is madly in love with you and can't wait to marry you. And uh, is, Catherine says, No, no, I really don't like him. He's a you know, a bore and a scoundrel who makes fun of my literary opinions, and I really want to marry this cool fox tilney.
1: Yeah, and, and she she very, very clearly states her point to Isabella, and Isabella doesn't seem to care anymore because now she knows that the Moreland family doesn't have any money. Yeah. And uh, she's a little bit disappointed in her brother for um, having her convey his feelings to Catherine. Yeah. Because she had apparently sent a letter to John saying, don't marry Catherine, the don't Morelands have don't have any money. Yeah. He didn't get it yet, but instead conveyed his feelings, you know, told his sister to convey his feelings, and she did.
2: John, if anything, is stupider than Isabella.
1: John is stupider than Isabella. Isabella
2: is also pretty dumb. There's not a whole lot of people in this novel stupider than John Thorpe. Yeah. Maybe the horse? John Thorpe's that, horse. John Thorpe's horse might be dumber than John Thorpe. <laughs> but the jury is out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and John, John Thorpe is... And and not only is he dumb, he's also a dumb teenage boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as a dumb teenage boy, he's always he's he makes these like grand gestures where he with with uh, with extraordinary arrogance, where he doesn't really he he thinks that. Catherine has, he makes a grand gesture, assumes that Catherine has said he's, she's going to marry him. In fact, none of that has taken place, and he's just sort of mumbled some things into his shoes but and was, then run away.
2: That was so honest on his part, like a, such a moment of earnestness beyond his capabilities. Uh, such an expression of feeling that wasn't expressed through anger or violence.
1: Yeah, it was almost, it was almost, it was as close as John Thorpe has ever gotten to tenderness.
2: Yes. That to him, that was a grand expression of love, and not. Man,
1: I'd, I'd hate to be one of their ugly sisters.
2: I bet the ugly sisters have some smarts. Like they have to.
1: Oh yeah, they they must.
2: Or else, what else do they've got going for them?
1: <laughs> just they're, they're just ugly.
2: They're just ugly and dumb and poor.
1: And so we have Catherine saying to Isabella, "Oh no, I don't. I don't really want to marry him." Catherine doesn't really care, and so there's not a lot of tension in that scene. But we do see. Um, you know, it, I think in you know prior scenes, is before Isabella had known that the Morelands didn't have any money, she would have pressed him. Isabella would have been like stressed out and felt like peer pressure to say that she felt a certain way that she didn't and here i think we see like the maturing of this relationship where they both now know things about each other yeah. and this is like we can see like this is a maturing of a relationship between um between two two women friends they both know things about each other they are no longer naive about each other's ide- um each other's wishes or desires and and our, their um their lives and Catherine is a is a little bit more forthright and and, dis- and saying, this is how I feel. This is what I think, and this is what I want, and this is how I'm going to get it.
2: Our sweet Catherine's growing up. What, what did we decide on for a nickname? Sweet Puss. Little Puss. Little Sweet Puss. Little Puss. Little Puss has become Big Puss and learned in the ways of the world. Yep. <laughs> yep, okay. You're stuck with this now, listener. You're, this is the podcast you're listening to.
1: <laughs> so, so Sweet Puss has known the ways of the world. She's not going to marry John Thorpe. John Thorpe knows that. John, they don't really care anymore mm-hmm. because they know that he doesn't have money. But is this the end of the Thorpe family? Is
2: this the end of the Thorpe family?
1: Because Isabella still has this entanglement with James, and I don't think it's gonna end well.
2: No, I uh I don't either because there's still a novel. So There's still there's still a
1: novel. Yeah. And we haven't yet gotten to Northanger, Northanger Abbey! Abbey.
2: Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt.
1: So, um, so that's that's really all I have to say about this chapter. Wraps up that chapter. Um, I don't know. Do we have any any plugs for for this episode? Well, uh,
2: do you did you like the chapter?
1: Did I like the chapter? I was not a huge fan of this mm-hmm. chapter. I was kind of like racing through it. Uh, it didn't it didn't it didn't snag my heart. Uh, I
2: did like it, if only for the awkward conversation. I I so identified with that awkward that incredibly uncomfortable conversation that uh, it made me just really have a lot of affection for that chapter. I've been through so many, like, very close quarters, uh, like, like hmm. lovey-dovey conversations that I have to sit through there and just grit and bear it that it really, I fell for Catherine there, I really did. Um, do so, uh, I would like to go on to the next section, which is, do you have any book recommendations?
1: Um, I just finished, uh, Normal People by Sally Rooney, which it was really good. Mm. Sally Rooney is one Mm. of the, I think, you know, top novelists, young novelists writing today. Mm. And I am really jealous of her and her skills. And she she just writes the shit out of that book and she and she she i i remember reading years ago this uh it was actually a line in like a Jonathan Franzen novel to describe um Alice Munro where he says like she is like a um a gymnast who doesn't need any any like any ornamentation she's just wearing a black leotard and she's putting on these these you know doing the same like eight eight tricks over and over again on uh on a mat but doing them so perfectly and so beautifully that um, you, are completely, you, are, you are engaged and absorbed the whole time. And I think that this is the case with, with Sally Rooney, too, where she, she's doing something very, very simple and very, very difficult at the same time with like just a, you know, a handful of characters, a handful of love triangles, um, and then she presses go, and it's, um, it's, it's magical and it's heartfelt.
2: Maybe it's a situation where it's something very difficult that she makes it seem very simple.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or is
2: that a, a bad? I mean, I have read it, but is that a bad?
1: Yeah. I think. I think um, it's definitely something very difficult. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if she necessarily makes it seem easy, um, but it's it's simple. Yeah. It's it's something. It it is it is un unadorned um, just relationships and and feelings um, and and just the 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 emotional dynamics are just perfect. And she, and she writes about very, like, about, you know, situations among, you know, people who are in their 20s and 30s right now um, that I think would, would, are, it, it feels very fresh and new.
2: And now this is not just Alice Munro, but also, uh, uh, what was the? Sally Rooney. Sally Rooney. And you read, was this a novel?
1: Yeah, Normal People. Normal
2: People. That's one hell and, of and she's a
1: And she's a Marxist.
2: So I'm sold already. Yeah, there you go. Alice Munro run a Pulitzer? Reep.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, she runs something big.
2: Um, I read. I just finished *Her Body and Other Parties* uh, by Carmen Maria Machado. Hmm. Uh, I uh, one reason I recommend it is because here in Brooklyn, that title rhymes. It's *Her Body and Other Parties*. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's Boston. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that is Boston. Uh, yeah,
2: that's a bad I joke. think Brooklyn
1: would be like *Her Body*. Bloody. You know,
2: the bloody. And other parties. It still rhymes.
1: It does still rhymes.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's very good. It's short stories that are all kind of, uh, uh, uh fabulous and magical realist and, uh, they're all about kind of sex in their own way, that they're all about sort of dating and sex in their own way, but they're also about sort of, uh, you know, insecurities and anxieties about women and women's bodies and, like, having this fucking weird body and having everybody obsessed over your weird body because you're a woman and that's the thing you have, um... Because it's her body and other parties. Uh, the it's uh, it was very good, and I, uh, I, di- I didn't know going into it that it would be explicitly fabulous to magical realist. But there are two of two of the short stories that particularly stand out. Uh, the first was called The Husband Stitch, and it is a retelling of the corny scary story to tell in the dark, where the wife has the green ribbon, and the husband takes off the ribbon at the end, and the head falls off. Uh, which is always the stupidest of the campfire stories. Like yes. Why on earth? What are the physics of that? How on earth? But she really goes into it, and she—it's really, quite a ribbon. Yeah. No, I mean she she goes into how, what the ribbon means and like the implications behind the ribbon and the relationship between the husband and the wife where they have this very working good relationship except the ribbon is always a point of contention between them because Ooh. he. I mean the big point there is he has to know what this ribbon is. she wears it all the time and not only does she not tell him but she herself doesn't know the one thing she knows is it's mine it's this is the one secret I'm allowed to have in our relationship and it's not that I want to keep a secret from you my perfect husband it's that like this is the one thing that's mine hmm um and like every time he says well I want to take off this ribbon every time he touches the ribbon it's described in language that's like a rape you know it's like don't touch my ribbon. Don't do that. This is a violation. I'm mad at you for touching my ribbon. Uh, it's uh, So that was really good. And then there was also this kind of, it was almost an experimental short story, which was, uh, I forget, I think it was called, like, Especially Heinous. The idea is she took the show titles for all of the episodes of Law & Order SVU and just sort of wove a narrative about the cops, Benson and Stadler or whatever their name is, Benson and Waldorf, Waldorf and Stadler. I'm mixing them up with the Muppets. <laughs> I'm sorry. Whatever. The two people who watch Law and Order SVU know what I'm talking about. But presumably Carmen Maria Machado had a sick day and watched all of Law and Order SVU and said, I, "What if these characters were like in some kind of crazy, psychologically surreal situation?" And that was yeah. kind of uh, that was kind of fun too.
1: This sounds really cool.
2: Yeah, it was a really fun uh, book of short stories. Also, she's 33. Yep. So, yep. she studied under Ted Chiang Oh. at the IOL Writers Conference. Oh,
1: I didn't know Ted Chiang taught there.
2: Or I maybe somewhere else. Some other important thing. So that's what yep. being is one of the elite gets you. Is published at 33 and hanging out with Ted Chiang. As opposed to the two of us.
1: Well, on that note...
2: Oh, sorry. I mean, what? No, we're fine. We're cool. I mean, I'm less cool than Annie. Annie is... Objectively cooler than me.
1: Oh, I wouldn't say that. Okay. Cool. Anyway, any any final thoughts on Northanger Abbey? Uh, no. Okay.
2: <laughs> any thoughts on G.K. Chesterton? How you doing back there, Gilbert? <laughs> oh, here. Let me get you. Let me get you a handkerchief. Thanks, just, please. Please just swallow your food and then you can answer.
1: <clears throat> I mean, it's just... I'm fine. Okay. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. It was it was delightful meeting meeting you all.
2: Let me just wipe up some of the food you spat on me. I
1: I, I would you would you please put on this wizard costume? Yeah, you know I'm gonna
2: pass on that one for now. But um, it
1: is, I would like to recognize you as a Jew. All
2: right. Well, we'll we'll talk later. It's it's cool. Hey, uh, it's that. Uh, I think that's all. That's it. That's all we have. Yep. Okay.
0: Good night. Good night, everybody. Leave my girl alone. If you don't have a girl, go and get one of your own. All night long, you keep coming around. My She's a one-man girl, a one-man girl I love